The U.S. House passes an anti-discriminatory resolution to protect everyone but Christians. ISIS is pretty much done. The UNHRC actually stopped their Israel hating for five seconds, maybe less, to condemn an actual human rights abuser for the first time. And we, of course, talk the peace plan. All of this and more on this week's Mideast News Brief. And thank you for joining us. I am Winston R. Holland, and wow, wow, wow. I must say, this crop of fresh faces in the U.S. House of Representatives have been such a delight, haven't they? Just fresh faces bringing in freshness and just infusing the House of Representatives with just life and hope and freedom, haven't they? I read an article this past week called Attack of the Watermelon People. Why do you call these people watermelon people? Is it some racial slur? Are you bigoted against them in some way that you're calling them green? No. The analogy is, is rather political in nature. They're green on the outside, but they're red on the inside. And ultimately, that's what their policies lead to is just full maximum government control over every area of your lives, but I wasn't planning on getting into all of that, and I am not going to right now. But they are just sheer delight, just a sheer delight. Now, I'm really kind of sad because I was hoping this week I would have concluded my research on the history of Arab rejection of any form of two-state solution with Israel in exchange for peace, which really is a dumb idea on the face of it, to give people land that are trying to kill you with the promise from those very people that they'll subsequently leave you alone? Uh-huh. But alas, I am not done compiling the info. However, by the next broadcast, which will be in two weeks because I'll be taking spring break off with my family, uh, it should be ready to go because I feel like it is very, very important as we head into the Trump peace plan that we have a solid historical context by which to judge the likelihood of the plan being accepted by the Arabs and by which to judge whether or not the plan is any good at all. History is the handmaiden to politics. History is the handmaiden to politics. You cannot fully understand politics if you don't have a historical context of what's going on. As the adage says, those who those who do not acknowledge history are doomed to repeat it. And so I have a feeling that's, that that's what's going to happen in this case. However, like I've said, they could come out and surprise me. Maybe some rather interesting, creative, one-state solution. Not going to hold my breath. Also, don't forget to head over to MideastNewsBrief.com where you can listen to the podcast and subscribe to it on iTunes as well as get links to the articles discussed on the broadcast today. All right, so first I want to jump into this. I mean, it's bold. This is bold. It's, it's courageous. It's, it's forward-thinking. It's... It's inclusive, well, at least inclusiveness defined by the left. It's inclusive, just tolerant, 
mass accumulation of virtue signaling on a scale I don't think I've ever seen from the U.S. House of Representatives before. It really is remarkable, this uh, particular resolution that they passed yesterday, Thursday, March 7th, 2019. There's one group conspicuously left out, though. I mentioned it briefly in the introduction. Perhaps you caught it. See if you can figure it out as we delve into this courageous, forward-thinking, just bold and inclusive resolution passed by the oh-so-tolerant and just uh, lovers of the state of Israel in the U.S. House of Representatives. This is from Times of Israel, which... Here's an example where I'm reading from a story that does not jive with how I feel about it. So if there's any idea that I'm just reading stories of, you know, from points of view that I agree with, agree with, this would be an example where that is not happening. But I think they give the basic facts so we can get the basic facts and we can kind of get their commentary and their kind of slant on it, their bias on it, and we can discuss it. Now, can't we? U.S. House passes resolution against anti-Semitism, bigotry after Omar remarks. Of course, this is all surrounding the freshman congresswoman from Minnesota, Ilhan Omar, who has just, in her very short career in the U.S. House, really tried to make a point to use as many anti-Semitic tropes uh, and diatribes as possible, not to mention her history prior to the House, which we're going to talk about that also a little bit. And so the question was, what do we do? What do we do about this rogue anti-Semitic member of Congress? Anti-Semitism isn't a part of the Democrat platform yet. It's not time. It's not time to add it to the platform. We can't do it. Now, that being said, i got to be fair. I'm not saying all Democrats are anti-Semites. I'm not. You might be able to argue that their policies are, but I'm not going to be like that. Regardless, for whatever reason, for right now, it does not fit into the platform. It just does not. And Nancy Pelosi is just having a time (laughs) on her hands trying to, to juggle this radical... I mean, if you if you thought the Democratic Party was radical, you know, pre two thousand nineteen. I mean, wow! It's like how quickly can who can run to the ledge of the Grand Canyon and jump off first without a parachute? Not even a hang glider. Okay, I'm supposed to be reading a story, aren't I? Divided in debate, but mostly united in a final vote. The House passed a resolution condemning anti-Semitism and other bigotry Thursday, with Democrats trying to push past a dispute that has overwhelmed their agenda and exposed fault lines that could dog them through elections next year. It's almost like they're trying to give the election to Trump. (laughs) It's it's, it's like, what can we do to just alienate as much of the majority of the country as possible to ensure that the president we hate— more than any man that's ever walked the face of the earth to make sure he's reelected. I'm just I'm just a casual observer. There are there are, like aren't any moderates. I think Howard Schultz might be pretending to be a moderate, but I don't even know if he's 
running on the Democrat ticket. The one-sided 407 to 23 vote belied the emotional infighting over how to respond to freshman rep Ilhan Omar's recent comments suggesting how supporters of Israel have dual allegiances. For the casual listener, for someone who might not be informed on the history of this, well, you might go, oh, well, what's the big deal? Right? What's the big deal? I mean, yeah, I mean, maybe they do. Maybe some Israeli supporters have dual allegiances. Okay, I would agree, actually. There might be some people who are Israel supporters. I'm sure there are Israel supporters that are, you know, secretly uh, aligned 100% with Israel, and they're only using America to benefit Israel. Do you think those people are out there? I do. I'm sure there are. But do you, do you think? Do you think there might be? <laughs> do you think there might be people out there who are like that with the Palestinians? Now, follow me for a second here. Follow me for a second. This is the, the ultimate irony of this whole thing. She's using these, these tropes against the Jews that have actually been used for hundreds of years as an excuse to persecute them. As an excuse to persecute them. Saying, oh, they have, a, they have dual allegiances. Why? Because of the, the Torah. Because of their commitment to following the laws of Moses. Notwithstanding that their own tradition actually tells them, look, whatever country that you are in, those are the laws you follow. Their own tradition tells them to be allegiant to the countries that they reside in in the diaspora. No, this dual loyalty garbage blamed on the Jews has been used against them for a long time as a, as a, as a reason to persecute them. So, but, but here's the question. Do you think anyone else in America might have dual lo- loyalties? Do you think there might be someone here that's loyal to like Saudi Arabia or hey, maybe someone that's more loyal to England than America, or maybe someone that's more loyal to Zimbabwe than America, maybe someone that's more loyal to Somalia than America, or, and this might be actually the most blaring example, maybe someone who has dual loyalty with the Palestinian Authority. Now, why would I think that there might be someone in Congress with a dual loyalty to the Palestinian Authority? Well, if we're going to condemn somebody, right, let's, let's think about the congresswoman, not Ilhan Omar, but one of her besties in Congress that gave her victory speech wrapped in a Palestinian flag. I mean, are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? Rashida Tlaib, like the lady she's always sitting next to, it seems, gave her victory speech wrapped in a Palestinian flag. And so she's accusing Jews of dual loyalty, which again is an anti-Semitic trope that's been used for a long time to persecute them, when the very lady she's sitting next to gives her an acceptance speech wrapped in a Palestinian flag. Do you think that might indicate dual loyalty? I'm just asking the question. 
12 minutes in, I've only gotten to the second paragraph of the first story. Okay, it is just, the irony is just, it is, it's mind-boggling, not to mention the hypocrisy. For days, Democrats wrestled with whether or how to punish the lawmaker, arguing over whether Omar, one of two Muslim American women in Congress, should be singled out, what other types of bias should be decried, and whether the party would tolerate dissenting views on Israel. Why can't you just condemn anti-Semitism? Why can't you just do a resolution condemning anti-Semitism? Why not just that? That was the issue. Pass a resolution condemning it. Generational as well as ideological, the upheaval was fueled in part by young liberal lawmakers, I prefer leftist lawmakers, and voters who have become a face of the newly empowered Democratic majority in the House. This group is critical of Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu's government, rejecting the conservative leader's approach to Palestinians and other issues. Interestingly, the, the, the anti-Semitic comments that Omar has made really either have nothing to do with policy, or if they mention policy, they're extremely hypocritical. You know, she tweeted that uh, the relationship between the U.S. and the Israeli lobby is all about the Benjamins, right? All about the Benjamins. Basically, bringing up the old idea, the old bigoted idea that Jews are all about money. And of course, you know, most recently, the activists who support Israel, they hold allegiance to a foreign country, like what we've been talking about. The, the dual loyalty. Not only that, but in 2012, she tweeted that Israel has hypnotized the world and may Allah show the world the evil doings of Israel. And, and it's, it's, in an interview, she just can't, well, I don't understand how, how American Jews would have problem with that. I'm just talking about the Israeli government, blah, 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 blah. Oh, and this one was a a particular favorite of mine. She said in an interview, when I see Israel institute a law, talking about the Jewish nation state law, that recognizes it as a Jewish state and does not recognize the other religions that are living in it, and we still uphold it as a democracy in the Middle East, I almost chuckle. I just almost chuckle. Because I know that if we see that in any other society, we would criticize it. We would call it out. I'll link to this story as well. (laughs) Israel is the only country in the Middle East that guarantees freedom of religion. She supports Palestinian rights, but does not seem to care that the leaders of the Palestinian Authority deny their people not only religious freedom, but freedom of speech, freedom of press, freedom of assembly. It bothers her that Israel is the one Jewish state in the world but does not, quote, call out the nations where Islam is a state religion or her own home country that is number three on Open Doors USA's list of worst persecutors of Christians. Look, I I think we all know what's going on here. She's an anti-American, anti-Christian, anti-Jew member 
of the U.S. House of Representatives voted in because of a huge influx of Somali refugees that have come into Minnesota. And look, she's, she's playing to her base. She's, I think she's playing, playing to what she really believes, and she's playing to her base. Look, the lady can't even read English correctly. If you listen to any hearings where she's, she actually has to question people, she mispronounces words. It looks like she's struggling to read. I mean, you would, you would think, and look, that has nothing to do with her country of origin, with the color of her skin. I would say that about anything. Anybody who is a member of the U.S. House of Representatives and can't, like, read English well and looks like she's maybe even struggling to understand the things that her aides prepare and give her to read at these hearings. Where was I? Okay, here we go. The resolution passed Thursday condemns anti-Semitism, anti-Muslim discrimination, and bigotry against minorities as hateful expressions of intolerance. Some Democrats complained that Omar's comments had ignited the action after years, I mean years, years, of President Donald Trump's racially charged rhetoric led to no similar congressional action. Uh, excuse me? Show me racially charged rhetoric from the president. Tell me where he was using ancient anti-Semitic tropes against Jews. Show me where he's making statements of white supremacy. Show me that. Show me that in context. Show me the speech. Show me the day. Show me the tweet. Years. Ago. It's just, it's baloney. What it is, is that any policy that Trump advances that is not an open borders, let's let billions of people in, and is designed to actually protect the American people, protect American workers, protect American jobs, is racist. So don't give me that baloney. Look, Trump's not perfect. There's several things I disagree with Trump on. So I'm no Trump lackey. Although I, I, that being said, I, I love my president, and I'm very grateful to God that he's there. But I don't just go with whatever Trump says. I have a brain of my own, and I have my own political philosophy, and I follow that. But statements like these are baloney. The addition came under a section that is stated at the end. I skipped a paragraph, but there's a section at the end. So now we're getting to what they're talking about. Now we're getting to, okay, what are they condemning? So here we have a Somalian Muslim anti-Semite, right, creates this firestorm and then the House has to do something about it. So what do they do? So what do they do? <laughs> you got to admit, on some level, it's kind of entertaining. You, you got Here's the thing. For those of us who are maybe a little upset <laughs> about the composition of the current Congress, you, you, you got to take it seriously because it's a real threat. Stay optimistic. Put a smile on your face. Laugh. Just get a good laugh out of some of this stuff. 
It'll help you. Laughter, uh, the Bible says a joyful heart is good medicine. I mean, truly laughter is medicine. So just laugh at some of this stupid stuff. It will help you. Yes, take it seriously. Yes, fight against it. I'm not I'm not uh, trying to discourage any actual activity, worthwhile activity, fighting against it. I'm just saying, look, this is the reality that it is, at least until uh, January 2021. So laugh when you can. Enjoy life, right? That's going to be part of my quote of the week, actually, at the end, is going to be about that. So stay tuned. I might go a little long today. I don't know. We'll see. Because I'm still on the first story. <laughs> and we're 20 minutes in. All right. Uh, so so what, what do they, this Somali Muslim woman, is just, just can't help herself. It's like every other week she has to put out fodder for those who think she's an anti-Semite. The addition came under a section that stated in the end, quote, whereas white supremacists, huh? <laughs> what? <laughs> whereas white supremacists in the United States have exploited and continue to exploit bigotry and weaponize hate for political gain, targeting traditionally persecuted peoples, including African Americans, Latinos, Native Americans, Asian Americans, Pacific Islanders, other people of color, Jews, Muslims, Hindus, Sikhs, LGBTQ, RSTV, WXY, and Z community, immigrants, okay, they didn't say that last part after the Q, Commun- uh, immigrants, and others with verbal attacks, incitement, and violence. Huh? <laughs> like, I agree, white supremacy is horrendous and has been the cause of death for millions and millions of people. That was part of the cause. <laughs> they just can't help themselves. Everything to them is about white supremacy. Everything to them. Everything, if the president does something they don't like, it's white supremacy. If he actually tries to have the same type of immigration pr- plan, oh, that, let's say, Bill Clinton, oh, that say, Hillary Clinton, oh, uh, Barack Obama, Harry Reid, Chuck Schumer, Barbara Boxer, all, like, actually, they all used to actually want a sane immigration system. And there's video proof of it yesterday. I saw a video of Barbara Boxer yesterday killing it. I mean, she was killing it. She looked about 20 years younger, but dang, she was killing it. I'm like, amen. Where did all these people go? (laughs) What happened to them? Hmm. Speaking before the vote, House Speaker Nancy Pelosi said she does not believe that Omar understood the weight of her words or that they would be perceived by some as anti-Semitic. The resolution does not mention Omar by name. I mean, I guess not only does she not understand the weight of the words, the weight of her words, I don't know that she understands all of English with the way that she's I've I've heard her speak. It it's phenomenal. And look, we've got to stop treating Ilan Omar like she is a child. What is she like? 38, 39, 40 years old? She's a sitting member of the U.S. House of Representatives, an unbelievable privilege? She's 
She needs to be treated like an adult. I'm sorry. Words have consequences. Words have actions. If I say something behind this microphone that's wrong, that's incorrect, or it's evil in some way, I should be held accountable. Oh, well, Winston, he didn't truly, he didn't truly understand the weight of his words. He, he, you know, he's just so stupid that, you know, and just so ignorant. He didn't like really understand. And honestly, you know what? If I'm being perfectly honest, I feel like when we treat Ilhan Omar like that, in which I've actually heard of like l- treated uh, or that Muslims in certain countries we treat on a different level. Oh, because they're, you know, third world Muslims, they don't understand and whatever. I- I'm sorry, but that's, in my mind, that's a, a form of racism. Oh, well, the, you know, these are just, if, if we say, like, oh, these are just Arabs. Oh, these are, these are just, you know, ignorant Arabs that don't know any better. You know what? No, I'm sorry. I expect better of all peoples because I don't put one ethnicity above or below another. I just simply don't. And honestly, I believe that we're all one race, the human race. I don't even like to use the term that we're different races. Yes, we're different ethnicities. Yes, we have different countries of origin. Yes, we have different families of origin. But we're all one race, the human race. And if she is apparently smart enough to get elected to the U.S. Congress, and if she has the power that she has not just with her vote, in Congress, but also with the unbelievable influence that she has. I'm going to go to some news sites, and on the right column where they show other stories, it's like every other story is about her. (laughs) I mean, every other story is a picture of a woman in a hijab. She has incredible influence. I'm sorry. If, If she's not smart enough to understand the way her words uh, could affect people. Now, look, we all make mistakes. Right, but this has been a for one, we're not all in US Congress, and number two, this has been a pattern of activity. And not only this, but she still sits on the Foreign Affairs Committee committee and Nancy Pelosi is not lobbying to get her removed. And did you did you notice? Notice that Christians notice that Christians were left out of this group? that should be protected from discrimination. It's like everybody else they could possibly think of but Christians. So let's stop treating her as a child and understand that words matter. And uh, oh, and look, you also kind of have to look at her associations. We, you also have to kind of look at who she's affiliated with. And I was glad to see this. I just saw it a few minutes ago how Ted Cruz is actually lobbying to uh, make the Muslim, uh, have the U.S. government call the Muslim Brotherhood a terrorist organization. That that's good. We will have to see. And interestingly, there's an article in the Jerusalem Post about Ilhan Omar's potential ties to the Muslim Brotherhood, which is an Islamic supremacist organization that seeks to upend Western civil Western civilization and replace it with an Islamic caliphate. Lori Cardoza-Moore claims that Ilan Omar may have ties to Muslim Brotherhood. 
Lori Cardoza Moore, president of Proclaiming Justice to the Nations, called on the U.S. Justice Department to, quote, launch a full and thorough investigation into Congresswoman Ellen Omar's possible connections to the Muslim Brotherhood. Omar may be in violation of a federal statute for fundraising for two Muslim Brotherhood charities that seek to destroy America, she claimed. So, according to this lady, Cardoza Moore, the recent revelation of Omar's participation as a keynote speaker at Muslim Brotherhood groups such as uh, there's Islamic Relief USA, there's CARE, Council of American Islamic Relations, which, by the way, the lawyer for the ISIS bride that wants to come back to America, who, after the caliphate has fallen, which we're going to get to in just a minute, after, after the caliphate has fallen, suddenly has this great change of heart. And she suddenly is against terrorism, says, suddenly is, is against the, the brutal tactics that outdo other terror organizations and wants to come home. That Her lawyer is the head of the Council on American Islamic Relations for Florida, who just so desperately wants this woman back in our country. If that tells you anything right there. Oh, and I also remember uh, a care representative, I uh, believe the head care representative of Los Angeles, after Trump won the election, tweeted out, it's time to overturn the government. Care is Bad news. They <laughs> are bad news. So she said her relationship with those groups, with the Islamic Re- Relief USA and Council on American Islamic Relations, suggests, quote, suggests her support for subversive factions aligned to destroy America and Western civilization itself. Last month, Omar keynoted an Islamic Relief USA emergency fundraising dinner for Yemen in Tampa, Florida, while later this month she will be a keynote speaker at a care fundraiser in Los Angeles. You think she might be rubbing shoulders with the guy that called for the government to be overturned? <laughs> it's, it's so ridiculous. <laughs> I'm sorry, I, should, I shouldn't laugh, but it, it's, it is truly, it's truly crazy. Look, care has been known to have ties with Hamas, with Hezbollah. In 2009, Kerr was listed as an unindicted co-conspirator. It was basically the largest uh, terrorist fundraising operation in the history of the U.S., the the Holy Land Foundation trial. So, I mean, Kerr has been involved in some shady, shady, shady stuff. Oh, and interestingly, the organization was officially designated a terrorist organization by the United Arab Emirates in 2014, placing it in the company of Al-Qaeda, Islamic State, and others. Omar will be keynoting alongside Hassan Shibli, the executive director of CARE Florida, who is vehemently anti-Israel and said he believes that Hezbollah and Hamas are not terror organizations and is known for openly discriminating against the lesbian, gay, bisexual, and transgender community. (laughs) There is... There is an unholy trinity of the left. And the idea that these three groups operate together is, it really goes to prove the old adage that the enemy of my enemy is my friend. What is this unholy trinity operating in America 
Well, it's the communist socialists. I mean, you can throw Democrat in front of socialist, but it's still socialism. Maybe the only good thing about democratic socialism over socialism, the only advantage is that you can vote it the heck out of existence. <laughs> that would be the only advantage I can see because socialist policy is socialist policy. Marxism is Marxism. Tyranny is tyranny. So, so but here's the un, unholy alliance. Socialism, communism, Islamic supremacism, in the LGBTQ, RSTUVWXY and Z community. The idea that these three groups operate and work so closely together when the first group that will be destroyed by this unholy alliance is one of the legs of the tripod itself, the LGBTQ community. Now, I personally, as a Christian, disagree with that lifestyle. But Christians aren't calling for them to be thrown off of roofs. Christians aren't calling for them to be killed. Christians aren't calling to make make it illegal, make that activity illegal. Now, Christians might be against uh, state-approved marriage, but even in but even in that context, they can do whatever they want in their own churches or whatever. They can still get married. It's just on their own terms. So, I, I mean, I would think as someone in the LGBTQ community, when I look at the trends in society and I look at who my true friends are, it, it's not the hard left that's going socialist, communist, fascism, uh, fascist, Islamist. That that's that's a whole other whole other ball game, but I mean, it's just amazing that these three groups are are working together like like they are. Uh, when one of those groups, especially, is it, I mean, it's gonna be they're gonna be the first to go before Christians, and then of course the socialists and communists will go, which we know after the Iranian Revolution, they the the mullahs disposed of the communist Tories who helped get them into power. Evil is stupid. <laughs> I'll just say that. Evil evil is not very rational. That's really all I want to say about that, uh, which was a lot, I know, but I, I've been meaning to talk about the situation with Ilan Omar and the anti-Semitism in our own Congress for a while. And... I guess this is just kind of built up. So forgive me if this was <laughs> if this was too much on it, but it's been building up over the weeks, and I've been needing to talk about it. It's relevant. I understand it was an action that happened in the United States, not the Middle East, but U.S. policy, I believe more than any other policy, affects what happens in the Middle East. And historically, the the Democrats, and at least in their platform, have not beneficially anti-Semitic. And they passed a resolution against anti-Semitism and against all these other things, which a resolution is simply uh, just a, more like a statement, more like a, this is, this is what we believe, this is what we think, right? It's not, uh, they have to pass a, a bill for, for it to be, potentially become law. So it's not like this was some kind of law that they were trying to get passed. This was a resolution, not a bill. But, 
it, it's, it's still important. It carries weight. It carries influence. And that's fine. That's what resolutions are, are meant to do. Uh, but it's, it's the anti-Semitism, which was really the whole reason for all of this, should have been singly, singly called out and singly condemned. Just like if a white supremacist were to stand up in Congress and talk about why white supremacism is the greatest thing since the wheel, that should be, there should be, there should be a singular resolution passed against that very thing. Now think about if they did that. Some white supremacists got up and talked about, put on a KKK hat and talked about why whites were better than everybody. And then the Congress passes a resolution that, you know, condemns, uh, that, that focuses on like anti-Semitism, <laughs> you know, or, or Islamophobia or something like that. It'd be ridiculous. No, what we were dealing with was anti-Semitism. And so that's what the resolution needs to be passed against. Just like if you're dealing with white supremacism or African-American supremacism or any other kind of, of bigotry. It should be, just pass a resolution. Is it that hard? Why is it so hard for the Democrat Party to just pass a resolution against anti-Semitism? I digress. We got to talk about, we got to talk about real quick, because I'm, uh, an hour's coming up quick here. How about this, right? We talked about the UN Human Rights Council last week and basically what a farce it is. It's, it's a total farce because the worst human rights abusers and dictators of the world sit on this council and are charged with, uh, with apparently um, protecting human rights and promoting human rights and actually have power to vote on resolutions regarding human rights when they do not even uphold the UN Charter on human rights. Right? Right. So, of course, most of the time, the UN Human Rights Council, they sit around all day and they, they think, how can we, let's see, what's another, what's a unique way? Let's get creative here, guys. Let's get creative and let's collaborate. Because um, I, <laughs> there was a, you know those motivation posters? Right, where there's like a picture of a sunset and there's some quote about leadership or something like that. Achieving, achieving your dreams. To first reach the stars, you must make it to the sun. Or whatever, you know, something like that. Well, there's a, a, a demotivator. <laughs> they have these demotivator posters. And I think my favorite one that uh, my previous employment where I was working at, uh, my office mate and I bought it. And it was, uh, uh, the picture was, it was called Meetings. And and uh, uh, and it had a picture of uh, like everybody shaking hands, and 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 the caption was none of us are as dumb as all of us, <laughs> none of us are as dumb of all as dumb as all of us meetings. That's how I feel about the UNHRC. Let's just sit around. Let's figure out. Let's figure out how we can trash Israel today. What's maybe a way we've never done it before? So, but the, hey, but hey, I got to give them credit. They took five minutes out of their day. They took five minutes out of their day to condemn an actual human rights abuser. Can you believe it? Can you believe it? It's like the heavens opened and there was this crepuscular ray that just came down and shined on the UN Human Rights Council and actually gave them some kind of semblance of enlightenment 
oh yeah, you know, maybe some of these dictatorships in this room, you don't give people freedom of religion, freedom of speech, freedom of press, these basic human rights. You know, uh, maybe we should kind of think about what some of these other people are doing, some of these other countries are doing. But they did. I got to give them credit. They took five seconds out, and this is what happened. EU, EU, Canada, Australia issue rare rebuke against Saudi Arabia at UN Rights Forum. Three dozen countries, including all 28 EU members, called on Saudi Arabia on Thursday to release 10 activists and cooperate with the UN-led investigation into the murder of journalist Jamal Khashoggi at its Istanbul consulate. This is from France24.com, March 7, 2019. The rare censure was the first rebuke of the oil-rich Gulf Kingdom. Wait, what? (laughs) At the UN Human Rights Council, since it was set up in, what, 2018? Well, maybe maybe it was set up in 2017, and, you know, there's a lot of paperwork to do. It's a big bureaucracy. We understand. It's a big bureaucracy. We got paperwork. We got, you know, we can't just... You, you can't just open up shop and just start condemning everybody. I mean, you can open up shop and start condemning Israel, but you can't open up shop and start condemning everybody. So, you know, it, it takes some time. You know, okay, so, oh, wait, oh, wait, wait a minute. Oh, wait, they didn't open in 2018. They didn't open in 2017 or 16 or... Oh, wait, wait. They've been around since 2006. They've been around for 13 years. And they've never actually rebuked Saudi Arabia? (sighs) Now, I know I'm hating a lot on the UNHRC, but really, (laughs) I mean, if you're going to hate on something, I mean, the, the, uh, I mean, talk about, oh, what's the word I'm looking for? I don't know. It's just the ultimate irony of the name Human Rights Council. and came amid growing international, international concern about violations of basic freedoms such as freedom of expression. Quote, it is, it is a success for Europe to be united on this. Boy, is it. Boy, is it, because Europe, you know, they want to spend most of their time condemning Israel. An envoy from an EU country told, told Reuters. I mean, really think about this. Israel versus Saudi Arabia. Israel versus Saudi Arabia, right? Got my phone buzzing over here. I thought, oh, I didn't put it on nighttime mode. There we go. Maybe it won't buzz again. Um, Think about it. (laughs) I mean, in Israel, you have freedom of religion. You have freedom of speech. You have freedom of the press. I mean, Arabs in Israel have it better in Israel than anywhere else in the Middle East. Versus Saudi Arabia, that is a tyrannical government that just recently have started to allow women to drive. Do not see men and women equally. Do not uphold the UN Charter on Human Rights. And for the first time in 13 years, they get a rebuke from the Human Rights Council? Something tells me something a little deeper might be at play. I'm just... Just musing. 
We're particularly concerned about the use of the counterterrorism law and other national security provisions against individuals peacefully exercising their rights and freedoms. I called on Saudi authorities to, quote, disclose all information available about its own investigation while co cooperating with the UN inquiries into the death of Khashoggi, who was killed on October 2nd in the Saudi consulate in Istanbul. The New York-based group Human Rights Watch said the statement was, quote, the first ever collective action at the Council on Rights in Saudi Arabia, which had successfully evaded criticism at the UN body. So really, what did it take to get the Human Rights Council to finally condemn Saudi Arabia. It was the brutal and horrible murder of Jamal Khashoggi, which I am, I mean, that's horrific. It's horrendous. It is absolutely terrible. It should have never happened. It's, it shows that, yes, the Saudi regime is just a thuggish, evil regime. But interestingly, a, a guy who has been charged as a terror sympathizer Jamal Khashoggi him being killed is what it took is really what it took for them to get action because even though the story goes on to talk about uh, 10 all these detained activists I mean and, and that those activists should be released do, do you not think I mean do you really think that the UN Human Rights Council would have done anything if Saudi Arabia was just detaining journalists <laughs> no it took the murder of an alleged terror sympathizer, hardcore leftist terror sympathizer, in order for them to do anything. Look, that's all I'm going to say about that. i got to move on. The UN Human Rights Council. Love to hate them. Okay, let's talk about ISIS. Let's talk about ISIS. I mean, we're just getting closer and closer. I just, I don't know when to expect that the the get the news of the absolute big fall of Bakus and there there aren't any more Islamic State fighters hold up. Maybe next week, maybe the week after that. It still apparently hasn't happened yet as of this broadcast, Friday, March 8, 2019. However, we're obviously getting closer. Uh, this is from the AP. Heads bowed to the ground. Suspected IS members surrender. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Look, we, we got we have to celebrate the good news. We have to celebrate the good news when it comes. Suspected Islamic State group members. I'm sorry, this is from the AP. Suspected Islamic State group members, including foreign fighters, sat in a long line in a field of bright yellow flowers, exhausted and hunched over as they were questioned and searched Thursday by U.S.-led coalition members and Kurdish fighters. They were the latest group to surrender from the besieged final pocket of Syrian territory held by the militant group. Unlike previous days, when hundreds of families emerged from the IS-held Bakuz village, the evacuees included dozens of fighting-age men, some of them wounded and limping on crutches days after U.S.-backed forces pounded the area. Armed coalition fighters encircled the line of men whose heads were bowed to the ground to screen them. Separately, Kurdish fighters of the Syrian Democratic Forces searched them for weapons and information. 
So they basically separated the men into three groups. So they had men in uh, uh, groups of Syrians, Iraqis, and then other nationalities. And, I mean, the SDF, the Syrian Democratic Forces, they've besieged Baku since September. And basically about 10, I mean, over the past two weeks, about 10,000 people have come out of Baku's. I mean, it's a crazy exodus of people have come out uh, recently. The surrender of dozens of men Thursday could be a sign that the IS fighters inside are starting to wear down. But it is still, here's the thing, it's still not known, unfortunately, how many militants uh, remain uh, and are staying to fight. But apparently they're still inside vowing to fight to the death. Look, and when you have uh, an ideology straight out of the Quran and the Hadith that says that you're going to be rewarded with virgins galore in this unbelievable paradise forever. I, I mean, that, that, that look, I mean, whether it's this or whether it's kamikaze fighters in World War II, you sell people some baloney and they believe it, they'll die for it. Even if it means killing other people. It's a sad, sad, sad reality. And to set the record straight, okay, I wasn't planning on talking about this, but I was so fired up about it. My my son, <laughs> my son got an earful about it the night before last because I was so, uh, I was so upset because I was I was listening to talk radio from somewhere, and this guy was I, I just don't want to get specific on where this this guy was basically lumping in all of Christians and basically all of Christendom with the the Crusades and with uh, Christian supposed Christian murder of the Jews. And I, I want to set the record a little straight here because the, the guy was very uncharitable, very uncharitable, to, to say the least. If I'm going to be nice, um, this particular individual I would agree with politically on many, many things. It wasn't someone from the U.S. It was someone outside the U.S., but his whole idea was, well, when you have the New Testament, right, you have to get rid of the Old Testament. You have to get rid of the people of the Old Testament in order for them to, to buy your New Testament. And then he went on to say, and just like with the, the, Muslim, the Muslims, with their Quran, they got to get rid of the people before them, which would be those of the New Testament and those of the Old Testament. And uh, he, uh, it was like lumping all of Christendom in with the ca- uh, Catholic Crusades and uh, other areas of persecution, whether various Protestant sects or groups or whatever um, have been anti-Semitic. And, and I get that. I get that there's, there's some history there. But I, I want to set the record on one, like two things, two main things. If you'll bear with me here for a sec. Number one. Let's look at the first century A.D. For one, let's look at what did Jesus command his followers. <clears throat> Jesus said, here's how you take over the world. 
right? Here's how you do it. Did he say to take up a sword and go preach and then kill those who don't agree? Did Jesus say to do that? What did Jesus say when Peter took out his sword and he struck off the ear of of Malchus, the servant of the high priest? He said, put in your sword. Those who live by the sword die by the sword. Then he miraculously healed the guy's ear. He said in Matthew 28, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything I've commanded you. The scripture says it's the foolishness of preaching that advances Christianity. Jesus didn't say go and be per- go and persecute. He promised you will be persecuted. In the first 300 years of, of Christian history is Christians reaching out to people in love with the gospel of Jesus Christ and then being persecuted and killed, thrown into coliseums to be mauled alive by lions. Not persecuting Jews. Are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? Have you read a history textbook? Have you read any Christian history? And look, we'll be the first to admit that there are periods of history where people who have claimed the name of Christ have done evil things. But if you're going to make that comparison of Christianity to Islam, here's what you got to do. You don't judge a religion by the abuse of the religion. You judge a religion by what it teaches. Everybody abuses everything, right? And not only that, but I could point to the atheism and the communism socialism of Stalin, of Lenin, of Mao. And we could see, you know, we could, (laughs) you know, we, we could make some pretty strong associations there. And I think legitimately, But this idea that Christianity, the New Testament appears, and and then Christians are like, okay, well now we got to get rid of the Jews because they're not going to accept our stuff. They're not going to accept our our doctrine, our teaching. Flies in the face of the New Testament and flies in the face of Christian history. So I just kind of wanted to set the record straight. And not only that, but you will not find... You will not find in the New Testament any calls for violence against unbelievers. On the contrary, what does it say? Bless those who persecute you. Love those who hate you. Whoever slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the left. It's all throughout the New Testament. It's almost nauseatingly annoying. It's in the New Testament so much because there are times when I really don't feel like doing that. You can't escape it. Okay. What was I talking? Oh, I was talking about ISIS, wasn't I? <laughs> what even triggered that? Where was I? Look, I mean, gosh, and I am the biggest defender of Israel. The, de- the I just spent 35 minutes on a diatribe against anti-Semitism. But to then to lump me in, lump me in when I'm defending Israel publicly, and I am I would lay down my life for the Jewish people to lump me in with with crusaders. But even that particular radio talk show host, Jesus calls me to still love him. I do not hate him. I, I don't have anything against him. 
I don't hold a grudge. But I felt like I had to set the record straight a little bit. You guys basically got what my poor uh, 13-year-old son got in the car the other night. Um, Where was I? The territorial defeat of IS, which once presided over a self-proclaimed Islamic caliphate that straddled huge areas of Iraq and Syria, would be a milestone in the devastating four-year global campaign to crush the group. Indeed it would. But IS militants have scattered in the vast desert between the two countries and sleeper cells continue to stage guerrilla-style attacks. The top U.S. commander for the Middies said Thursday that unless the group and its ideology are handled properly, IS will sow the seeds of future violent extremism. <laughs> violent extremism, yeah. Um, global Islamic terror. Quote, what we are seeing now is not the surrender of IS as an organization, but a calculated decision to preserve the safety of their families and preservation of their capabilities, said General Joseph Vodal, adding that the insurgents are going underground in remote areas, quote, waiting for the right time to research. Now, you got to love this next sentence because it really does kind of show you the, a little bit of the bias of this, uh, of this article. Votel's assessment provides a reality check to President Donald Trump's... Oh, Trump. Oh, he needs his reality check. Yes. Reality check to President Donald Trump's repeated assertion in recent weeks that IS has been defeated and lost 100% of its caliphate, which once covered a vast territory straddling Syria and Iraq. Votel said the fight against IS and violent extremism is far from over. Trump didn't say that IS was going away. He said the caliphate, which has to do with the geographic area, has been defeated. The very thing that you wrote in your own article contradicts what you're trying to trash Trump on. (laughs) I mean, it makes me wonder how different that paragraph would have been if Barack Obama had said that and Barack Obama was presiding over the fall of the caliphate. So I th- that's all I can say on ISIS. Uh, due to time, there were uh, a few other things I was going to get to, but I'm going to end off. I'm going to end off the broadcast with my favorite topic. <laughs> you can pretty much expect. I don't know. I I, I don't know if there's going to be a a broadcast where you don't talk about the two state solution. I just don't know if it's even possible with the plan coming out and then, I mean, the how we're going to react to the plan, how the nations react to the plan after the plan comes out and the diplomacy and all that. It's just fascinating to me. So we're, we're going to be following it. But I, I found a, a opinion piece in the Washington Times, actually from 2017. This was right after Trump took office, February 20th. And... I think it helps. So this is actually, it's going to set me up for next week. This is going to set things up for next, oh, I'm sorry, not next week, but the week after next. Like I said, I'm taking next week off to enjoy spring break with my family. But this this will set us up. This is a great, this is a great end off to this broadcast and transition into the next because I'm, I'm pretty sure I'm going to start off the next broadcast with that. But it says, no deal for a two-state solution. 
Palestinians are not prepared to live with Israelis. This is by Ziva Dahl, February 20th, Washington Times. The president is committed to peace. That's as far as I want to go on that, said President Trump's press secretary, Sean Spicer, back when he was press secretary on February 3rd, 2017, in answer to a reporter's inquiry regarding the Trump administration's position on the, quote, two-state solution for peace between the Palestinians and Israelis. Will Mr. Trump push the two-state paradigm? like George W. Bush and Barack Obama before him, or will the White House realize that this idea is a dangerous fantasy like the irrational nuclear deal? I like this guy already. (laughs) History tells us that trading land for peace will not produce conflict resolution. Duh! The Palestinians claim all of Israel as their own and have never been prepared to share that land. A 2016 Palestinian Authority op-ed made clear that, quote, all of Israel is occupied Palestine. Oh, did you get that? Whoa, 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 wait, what? No, Palestinians believe in a two-state solution. Palestinians, they just want their, they just want their own state. Now, when I say Palestinians, understand, I'm not condemning the whole population. It's, it's their leadership. However, we are going to get to kind of what their whole population thinks as well. And it's a little unnerving. A two, let's read that again. A 2016 Palestinian Authority op-ed made clear that, quote, all of Israel is occupied Palestine. Not just the West Bank and uh, not just Judea, Samaria, and Gaza. Palestinians believe that Jews have no place in the Islamic Middle East. East. And that's ultimately what it's about. They don't believe the Jewish nation should be there at all. And that's why the Palestinian Authority will not recognize Israel's right to exist as a Jewish nation. They call it racism and blah, 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 when, when you don't have to be a particular ethnicity to become a Jew. And when they just let in oh, a, a bunch of uh, Ethiopian Jews, they're they're not, they weren't quite fair-skinned, <laughs> and they let them right in. Jewish state being racism. It's so stupid. The Palestinian rejection of an Arab state living side-by-side side with the Jewish state spans decades. They said no to a state offered by the British in 1937. No to the 1947 UN two-state resolution. No to a state in 2000. No, again in 2001 and 2008. The Jews said yes, despite military attacks against them in 1948, 1967, and 1973. Palestinian terrorism against Israel has never abated since Israel's creation in 1948. Attacks intensified in 1987 into a terror campaign. The first intifada, which lasted until 1993, resulting in civilian deaths and injuries. So, Uh, He's given a good summary of the history, and the next show, let's break it down. Let's let's talk. Let's actually let's go back even earlier than 1937. Let's go back to the Balfour Declaration. Let's go back to the San Remo Conference. Let's go back to the League of Nations mandate, and let's talk about the history. Some history here. History is and should be the handmaid into politics. Without history, 
it's very difficult, without knowing history, it's very difficult to make good political decisions. But real quick, he goes on to say, long-standing Palestinian brainwashing of its population against Jews and Israel, against the Jewish homeland, and in support of a Muslim claim to all land, quote, from the Jordan River to the Mediterranean Sea, right, from the river to the sea, Palestine will be free. They sing about it and dance about it on Palestinian television. It's an open secret. (laughs) They don't hide it. And there was a story I was going to get to from Palestinian Media Watch. I'll link to it on the show notes of today's broadcast. Uh, Oh, it's... it's, Their Jew hatred is just, just knows no bounds. Calling, like, basically saying that Jews happily were, were burying people alive in World War II at the command of Nazis. Uh, it's, oh, it's just despicable. They should be talking about how six million of them were killed. Not that Jews were happily burying people alive. It's unbelievable. Maybe I'll get to that next time. I don't know. Maybe I'll just burn it, throw it in the trash. A 2016 poll, uh, 2016 Palestinian opinion and the PA-controlled territories in Gaza reveals this stark and consequential reality. I'll just listen. 57% oppose mutual recognition of Palestine and Israel as the homelands of their respective peoples. Uh, <laughs> 57%. 62% oppose a Palestinian state in Gaza, Judea, and Samaria, unless Israel receives no territory west of the Armistice Line, the Green Line. More than two-thirds oppose West Jerusalem as the capital of Israel. (laughs) I mean, that's a part of the whole deal. Give West Jerusalem to the Jews, East Jerusalem to the Arabs. That's like, that's it. That's like, that's orthodoxy. That's dogma. Of course, you're going to do a two-state solution. West Jerusalem goes to the Jews. uh, East Jerusalem goes to the Arabs. That's just how it is. And two-thirds, more than two-thirds, oppose that. They don't just oppose Jerusalem as the capital of Israel. They oppose West Jerusalem. 67% oppose Israeli sovereignty over Jerusalem's Jewish quarter and the Western Wall. 67% oppose recognition recognition of Israel as a state of the Jewish people, even if it leads to peace. Politics is downstream from culture. If this is what, if this is an accurate representation of what the Palestinian Authority population thinks, and those policy ideas are going to be in the Trump, Kushner, uh, Greenblatt, Friedman peace plan, we've lost the game before we've started. We've lost before we've started. I hope that they have realistic solution uh, to this. I hope I'm wrong. And I hope that it's going to, I hope that what my gut says, that it's going to be same old, same old. And my gut feeling is, I, I believe based off of facts, based off of history, historical facts, I hope it's wrong. Trump has surprised us before. He surprised me many times. I didn't expect him to actually try to keep a lot of his campaign promises. And he did. So I am not immune to being wrong, and I hope, I really hope I am. I really hope 
there's a, a feasible solution. I was actually even uh, reading about and watch, watching some stuff last night about there's this Jordanian option uh, where Jordan actually offers residency and citizenship to Palestinians in Judea, Samaria, wherever. Uh, that That's interesting. I don't know how feasible it is. I'm looking into it. Uh, but uh, I don't have the peace plan, uh, but I hope they do. I, I hope they have something that works. But again, my plan is to lead off the broadcast next week with talking about the history of Palestinian rejection of the two-state solution to provide some uh, cultural context to what is going on. All right. It is time to end the podcast with the quote of the week. And this week, spring break is ahead of us. Uh, Maybe some of us are taking vacations. Maybe some of us not. Uh, I want to do a a non-foreign policy. (laughs) Or or, I don't know, maybe it does have something to do with foreign policy. But uh, it's a quote that I, I really, really like, speaks to my heart, and it's a bit more lighthearted. And it's from a book that I'm reading. I've seen the movies, the Hobbit movies, the Lord of the Rings, really enjoyed them. Actually, the Lord of the Rings is my favorite movie trilogy of all time. The Hobbit, not so much, but I will say Battle of the Five Armies was really, really good. It was like Lord of the Rings level. The other two weren't, but the last one, they really saved the best for last. I really liked Battle of the Five Armies. Um, But, so I'm reading the books, and I'm almost done with The Hobbit. Um, After this, I'm going to be going to the Lord of the Rings. Uh, It's kind of fun. Okay, how does it compare to the movie? Blah, blah, blah. But there's a quote in there at the very end. The king of the dwarves, king under the mountain, Thor and Oakenshield, right before he dies, uh, he says this. There is more, he's talking to Bilbo Baggins, the hobbit. There is more in you of good than you know, child of the kindly West. Some courage and some wisdom blended in measure. If more of us valued food and cheer and song above hoarded gold, it would be a merrier world. If more of us valued food and cheer and song above hoarded gold, it would be a merrier world. Or like in the movie, the the quote is, if more people valued home above gold, it would be a merrier world. And I think the events of the Middle East actually relate quite correctly, quite aptly with that. Because unfortunately, many in the Middle East, terrorist groups all over, it's their hoarded gold is domination. Their hoarded gold is subjecting others to their evil ideology. And if more people valued home, valued family, valued a a true relationship with their creator, which if they had would would lead to love for other people and not hate. What did Jesus say? By this all men will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. And with that, I will end it. So that will do it for this week's edition of Mideast News Brief. As always, you can find the show notes and articles linked at MideastNewsBrief.com. 
where you can subscribe to the podcast on iTunes. I will, like I said, be out next week enjoying an unusually cool spring break with my family. But not to fret, I'll be back the next week to bring you all of the top stories out of the Middle East. Thank you guys for joining us, and I'll see you again in a fortnight.